This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibe Nation. As always, I'm your host, Tia, and I do have to say really quick that I don't want to jinx anything. I probably just jinxed it by even saying that, but by some miracle, my Wi-Fi is working. So I'm working the board. Please don't Um, jinx it. I was going to say, John did an amazing job the past two weeks, but it does feel good to kind of be back in control. I feel more like, ah, relaxed, you know? So mm, I am very happy about it. <laughs> you know what? There's really quick side note. It's like we've been having this problem with our Wi-Fi for, like, weeks now, and I finally decided to call Verizon because prior to that, I had just been messaging them via Twitter Messenger. I finally decided uh-huh. to call, and he was telling me, you know, reset the router, yada, yada, and I was explaining that, you know, I'm a freelancer, and I get assignments sometimes on the weekends, and that my, you know, uh, live-in boyfriend is attending school, and a lot of his live lectures are at night, and a lot of his assignments yeah. are on the weekends, and that's very inconvenient for us, so... um I couldn't reset the router at that moment because Paulie was literally taking an online test, and he's like, if we only have Wi-Fi till 6 o'clock, I need to get this done. So I didn't reset the router. I did nothing to the router. I was like, all right, I'll do this later. Um, And our Wi-Fi has been fine ever since, and Paulie said that he saw something where Verizon is going to start, like, upping their Wi-Fi connection for those who are students. And he's like, I wonder if literally – as soon as you said that I was a student, if they, like, flipped a switch or something. And I was like, it's a little too, like, you know, suspicious that we've been having these problems the past few weeks, and now suddenly within, you know, one conversation, now suddenly everything's good. But anyway, that's, that's my long – oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's like a... – they they explain a lot of times – uh, like when I had so much issues with my internet company, they explained that they can actually do a like network refresh at like their end. So I wonder if they did that along with doing that. I have no idea, but hallelujah. And um, <laughs> that lovely voice that you guys just heard, of course, is my co-host, Brittany. I want to introduce you, Brittany. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm already here when you're talking about this kind of stuff. I'm here, girl. I'm here. I'm here for you. You hear? You hear? That's amazing. Um, Brittany, this is very random, right? Um, it has nothing to do with our has nothing to do with our top ten, but. I was thinking about it because it, I wrote an article about it and Kanan kind of proposed the question on Twitter. So very strange. You ready for it? Yes. Which movie do you prefer, Ants or A Bug's Life? Oh, that's hard. Oh, 
why are you doing <laughs> these kind of hard questions in the morning, Tia? Um, to get the brain oh, juices flowing. <laughs> I, it's hard because ants has like a special place in my heart because of, uh, you know, being a kid and, you know, like mom had that and we would watch it a million times. I think I've seen it more than Bugs Life. Okay, animation quality, I got to give it to Bugs Life. Uh, But for a better plot and more, like, adult themes, I'm going to give it to Amps. I agree. Um, And I almost want to say that if you go back, I almost like the animation of Amps better than I like the animation of A Bugs Life because – for some strange reason, Ooh. a couple of days ago, I decided to watch both because um, Ants is available on Hulu, Bugs Life is available on Disney Plus. I decided to watch them, and I re- I think I remembered a Bugs Life more fondly. And while it still has a very like powerful message, it was very like goofy. I didn't realize how kind of like I don't want to say this is going to sound terrible but dumb everyone wanted to act and yeah. it wasn't like na- it wasn't natural a lot of it and so it kind of became cringy at some point and then I went and watched Ants and I'm like it still holds up I'm like and as you said it's more adult so me as a god 30 year old can kind of you know appreciate that more so I was like I think I like Ants more and really quick fun fact is that both A Bug's Life and Ants were essentially like the, besides Toy Story, were some of the first uh, computer animated movies. Bug's Life was Pixar's second after Toy Story, and Ants was DreamWorks's first. So there you go. Fun fact for you. But Fun uh, fact. <laughs> Hey, you know what, Tia? That was fun. Thank you. I appreciate that. Unlike our topic for this podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. You ready to be depressed? Yep. The top 10 movies that make you cry. Because, Brittany, every once in a while, we need a, new, we need a good cry. Like, especially with how everything is out there it's good to just get a box of tissues and sob a little and let all that emotion out. So I thought, let's just do the top 10 movies that make you cry. And when I proposed this to Brittany, she goes, oh, that's easy. So apparently. Oh, yeah. um, I mean. (laughs) Brittany has a whole arsenal of movies, apparently, that is going to make us cry. I'm ready for it, Brittany. I am so ready Uh, for it. Here's my secret. I love You're being depressed. Oh, I'm always sad. I'm always depressed. There you go. That's my secret. I'm always sad. That's my secret. Oh, my God. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, Brittany, I do have to say before we go any further, I do always appreciate you making it for the top 10 in the mornings, especially since you work your ass off for the man. <laughs> I know. The, the man has been uh, being the man lately. Uh, being, uh, I know this is always so like off topic, but I do love our discussions even before the actual podcast is being an essential worker right now. It's great, but it also sucks ass. Can I say that? Can we agree that? 
being essential I mean, sucks because. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in your position right now. <laughs> it's it's that um, I, I had a discussion with Tia last night. I, I was like, it's been a long time since anybody at work has made me cry. Speaking of sad movies, um, been a long time, but I, it's like nobody understands. They're like, I had to wait an hour to get my groceries, and I'm like, dude. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We went from doing 3,000 stuff, like, picks to doing, like, 9,000. We suffering. We trying. There's only, like, a couple of us, I swear. But I guess people want their – it's their money, and they need it now. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. I will say that it is a little frustrating. It does get frustrating. I understand – I want to be accommodating and feel like, you know, these are steps that are being taken because it's necessary. But when you're so used to, like, I have a supermarket literally behind me. No driving. I walk, like, a couple of feet, and there it is. And when you're used to, say, at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, running in and out, being able to get what you need within, like, what, 10 minutes flat, that's amazing. And now not being able to do that because they're either making you wait outside or then, you know, you got to wait outside to get into the freaking store. Then you have to wait on another line, which, you know, it's not the regular lines, like, where you can just wait at the actual aisles. You have to wait in one big line, and then the store manager tells you which, you know, uh, cash register to go to. And people already take for freaking ever at the supermarket I go to to check out. So I'm like, this is insane. Um and then yesterday they weren't going to let Paulie in because he didn't have a mask. And so, but then he saw this girl walk by and she was like, oh, I don't have a mask. And the guy was like, oh, just use your scarf. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? So he literally just took a hoodie and threw it around his face and like walked in. I was like, I'm like, I don't want to say that this guy was trying to mack it to that girl, but I'm saying it. Oh, I think he was trying to mack it to that girl. I think he was trying to mack it to that girl, but... Anyway, let's get into the podcast, which, of course, before we do, I want to send a message from a friend of the podcast, and that is our lovely friends over at The Main Danny, who have such wonderful podcasts as They Call This a Movie and Stranger Danies. Now, if you don't know, Stranger Danies is the ongoing real play D&D podcast from The Main Danny family of podcasts. Join them every Wednesday as the wild stallions traverse the many traps and tribulations that Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path. There's elves, weird half-dragon people, conspiracies to uncover, and more references to the 1980s than Ready Player One. Subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Danies and follow on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Danies. And, of course, Stranger Games is a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. You can find us at geekvibesnation.com. I want to say that every time I say that and I say wild stallions, I think of the Italian stallion, which is Sylvester Stallone, and it just makes me smile every time. (laughs) I want to say, you you and Sylvester Stallone, you love him. He still got it. But, anyway, he still got it. 
You still got it. Let's get into our top ten movies that make you want to cry. Brittany, start us off. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to go with a smaller one first because I don't think you've seen this movie. Have you seen um, Up? I don't know if you've ever seen it. Are you going to say the movie? I can't tell you. Yeah. No, I said, I said it. Have you seen the movie Up? Oh, I didn't hear that part. No, <laughs> I, still have, I, I still haven't seen Up because I know exactly what it's about and I refuse to be that emotionally manipulated. It's the same reason why I refuse. It's the same reason why I refuse to watch The Farewell because I am not sobbing that hard. <laughs> well, it's like okay for anybody that hasn't seen Up. So it's about an old man. He he puts the balloons on his house because he wants to make it to. I can't remember what the place is called. I think it's called Paradise Falls. And mm-hmm. uh, and he's wanting to make it there. He accidentally takes this boy with him that's like a Boy Scout who accidentally, like, he got in the house. And so he's taking the kid for a ride with him, basically, because he can't drop them off. But this movie, like, it, it's not particularly a sad movie in its own, but the very beginning of it makes you cry so hard. And I think it has the adult themes of, like, a loss. And I'm glad that that's what Pixar, like, touches on sometimes but what basically happens is it's so sad I started crying before the sad part even popped up because so you have as a child uh I'm trying to remember his name but the old man I'm going to do this for ease especially for you having not seen it uh so the yeah, old please. man <laughs> it, he, he's a child right and he meets this girl and she's kind of wild and it's going through the steps of their life, right? Like uh, like them getting older, them getting married, and them, uh, oh, they're, you know, they get married, and they, they're wanting to save up to go to Paradise Falls because they always go, adventure is out there, you know, and they were wanting to adventure so much as children, but, you know, life gets in a way. And, you know, there's only so much those childlike hopes and dreams. And they have a piggy bank. And all through the stuff of, like, expenses happen, and they have to break the jar open, and they have to spend it, and then they save up again, and then they have to spend it. But but it's okay because they're together. Well, they it, it implies, because there's no words for this part, it, but it just does it through visual cues and everything. She gets pregnant. And they're so happy. And, and, like, and I don't know, this is what they don't explain. I don't, I think she gets pregnant and loses it. She has a miscarriage. And it's a, you just see her at the doctor with the old man, as you know, a young adult, you know, holding her because the doctor is explaining. And so they can never have kids. Like, and that's the thing is, I don't know, I don't, it, it implies, I think, a miscarriage. But I think from that point on, they realize they just couldn't have children. So that's sad enough in its own, right? Well, I start sobbing because, oh, oh God, it's going to make me tear up thinking about it. I start crying. Are you going to cry right now? I'm going to cry. I'm so emotional lately. (laughs) And she's like, she's going to cry. Ha, 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 content. I do do have an explanation for that, but I'm not going to say it on air as to why you're being so emotional lately. 
No, no, no. And it's not even that. It's not even that. But um, it might, so, it might be. <laughs> oh, oh my no, god! Can continue with the with okay. the plot. <laughs> also, I start sobbing. I, I remember I went and saw this movie with a bunch of uh, friends, and like I think it came out when I was either in junior high or the beginning of high school. I start sobbing, and they're like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" And I go, "This lady isn't in the movie." She's not in the trailers. Because I'm sitting there realizing they got old together, right? And she dies. She dies. And, like, she leaves him with a book, you know, and just basically wanting him to go out there and just live his life. And that's the whole reason he's still trying to take this house to Paradise Falls because they never got to go there together. So he's taking the house there. So that they can be there. And a bunch of parts, like, they have, they always had two chairs, right? Their own chairs. And they would always sit them next to each other. And plenty of times in the movie, he sits next to it. And you just see the empty chair next to him to represent his loss. And you just, I don't know. For anybody that has, like, grandparents and they've been together forever and whether or not they've been not been together forever, I'm like, ugh, ugh, my heart. <laughs> I I feel like you and I have spoken about the movie up before and of course other people have spoken about it and I know like the gist of it and then you have now explained more about it to me and I am just like that sounds way too sad Pixar is doing that with their movies they are just like completely destroying people so they've been like teaching so many lessons in their, like, movies since the beginning. You think about Toy Story. Toy Story's even sad. You know, especially Toy Story, I think, was it Toy Story 2 or 3, where it's like, when somebody loved me, that fucking song, when that comes on, I instantly start (laughs) crying. I'm, like, done. Well... I love that you started this list off with Up, and I am actually going to follow your lead with number nine with an animated movie from uh, Pixar. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out. Inside Out? I have not. Have not. Okay, so Inside Out is kind of like, uh, I'm going to give kind of the bastardized version of it. It's that everyone's emotions is represented with these, like, little creatures kind of in your mind, right? Like, you have joy, sadness, anger, paranoia. I think arrogance is one of them. And so you see from this little girl uh, who's who's born and you have all of her emotions in her and they're all working to make sure that she has a great childhood and all of that. with joy being like, and she has like two great parents, you know, so it's kind of like easy, right? And and as she gets older, her parents move her to San Francisco where she doesn't have friends. And there's kind of like this, uh, this struggle inside of the little girl because joy, the emotion joy is so, um, you know, invested in making sure that she's always happy all the time. And 
even when there's moments where maybe she should be sad, she's joy is always telling sadness, like, get out of here, you know, what are you doing? Um, you're, you're ruining everything pretty much. Um, and then at some point throughout the movie, you know, the emotions are haywire and all this and that, and joy kind of gets lost in this, like, other, because it's like this whole big thing, right? You know, they're in, like, this command center, and the memories get stored somewhere, and, you know, she tries to find these memories, and she goes, she gets lost in this, like, big-ass thing, and she's trying to get back to the command center because joy and sadness have, they got lost together, right? So the only emotions in there are anger, paranoia, pretty much, and, like, arrogance. Oh, I forgot no. what the other one said. Hashtag so, me. No, sure. So, so, like, anger keeps trying to get this little girl to run away. He's like, well, that's the only solution. She has to run away. So she's miserable in San Francisco. So she needs to run away from her parents. And Joy and Sadness are trying so badly to get back, but Joy kind of has this, like, moment where she's like, maybe I should just leave Sadness into this, like, deep abyss. But it's this whole, like, story of how, you know, you need, like, the the balances, right? Because at some point, sadness reveals, like, perhaps, you know, what her favorite memory is, and it was, like, a really sad memory, and Joy is, like, that's really messed up, but it's because that memory, her, say, like, losing a soccer game, then transitions into her parents, you know, taking her out for ice cream, and then it's a joyful memory, you know, and that's why sadness like that memory because it leads into another memory so it's like this whole thing about needing a balance of your emotions throughout it and um at some point they freaking meet like the imaginary friend and you know he's disappearing out of relevance and joy is feeling like she's disappearing out of relevance and i know that i'm not Explaining it properly, but I swear I sobbed like a little child because of all of it that was going on. Just like this great big emotional like roller coaster of a movie of just trying to make sure that this little girl like is okay, but kind of messing it up along the way as well because Joy wants to so badly just be in control, not realizing that it needs to be a balance. Um, and I will say really quickly before I pass it along to you, there are, of course, it's a Pixar movie, so there are funny moments. And there's, for the most part, you're in the little girl's head, but at some point you go in between both the mother and the father, and their emotions are hilarious because they're more, because they're more in sync with each other. So like the mothers will be like, they're all looking like her, and they're all like, he's not even saying anything like about the father. Why is he not saying anything? Should we give him a moment? What? And then you'll go to his, and they're like, we're doing a great job. Talk about football. We're doing a great job, guys. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that so, like yeah. – Go ahead. I was going to say, what makes me like – I think the saddest thing – I remember, I remember it so clearly. Ansley said it to me one time, and I started sobbing when she said, it's okay to be sad sometimes, and that's what that movie makes me think about. It's okay to be sad. That kind of really was the whole message of it, because, again, you have Joy trying to 
really just make sure she's happy like 24-7. And it's like sometimes you need to be sad. Um, you need those moments in your life. And I just love like the message of balance and then the message of like, you know, growing up and kind of, you know, making say new memories and all that. Like I'm describing it really poorly because there was a lot going on. But I put it when I first got Disney Plus, I was just kind of like searching around what to watch. And I was like, I don't know why I put it on. I think I even, like, text my mom at some point, like, oh, I'm watching, like, you know, this movie and stuff. She's like, why are you watching that? And I'm like, I don't know. But no, I put no. it on. And I put it on, and I, like, cried. I cried so badly, and I was like, this is this is emotionally manipulative. <laughs> this, this, this is this is an ordinary sadness. This is a demand in sadness. Especially when like joy and sadness try to get help from the imaginary friend who realizes that like he's fading because it's like with their memories it's that they're sometimes certain memories need to fade in order to make room for new ones and it's like him realizing that he's no longer relevant and needs to kind of let go and then essentially like sacrificing himself to help joy get out of that this situation. Is dark as hell, Tia. He literally like sacrificed himself because he sees his like arm disappearing and he kind of just like looks at joy and he like helps her out. But like, he's telling her like, Oh, you know, tell me, you know, sing, sing the song, you know, because there's, like, a song with him, you know, because he's an imaginary creature. And she's, like, singing it. It's, like, giving him power to to get her over this hill and everything. And she's so happy. And then she gets up on the hill, and she's like, we did it, you know. And she she looks, and it's like, he's gone. Because that was, like, the no. last bit of energy. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I can't. You know what? I'm done with this top ten. Goodbye. If you need a good cry, watch Inside Out. But, yeah, that's my number nine. Brittany, it's your turn. What's your number eight? <laughs> oh, man. Let me look at my list here real quick. Um, oh, I'm going to go ahead and take this one because I have sadder ones coming up. And I'm afraid it's on your list. So if it is, I'm really sorry. Hashtag not sorry. <laughs> Hashtag not sorry. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go with Titanic. Okay, that wasn't on my list, but that's a good one. Okay, okay. I was like, I have, oh, like, sadder ones. But okay, I'm not as, like, I'm not into as much as uh, into the, is it Jack and Rose? Is that his name? Jack? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, okay, which, by the way, hashtag, there was room on the fucking uh, <laughs> wood plank, just saying. No. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, my only theory about that, though, is he may have been too weak to actually get up on it, though. And maybe he just said there was wasn't room dram- to make her feel better. It was for dramatic purposes. <laughs> it was a dramatic pur- They should have made it smaller. They should have made it smaller. Uh, but I, I was going to say, what's, what's the saddest about it isn't really about their lost love and all that. It's 
watching all these people scramble, the pure panic of everyone in that movie when the boats are sinking, or like when it sinks and it splits in half, and people are like holding on for dear life, and not every, you know, there's not enough lifeboats. And I think they only had, I'm trying to remember, it don't hold me to this, I think they only had like 20 like lifeboats on this big massive boat holding so many but what gets me about it is like one I think we've talked about this you know you have the scene where the old couple can't get out and they just lay down in bed together it's like the water is rising because they know that they're going to die together and they want it to be on their terms or you see the mother who's frozen in the water with her child her infant child in her arms frozen to death and just like and like you have the the musicians who are just playing their music, which you know, and they said that like those those guys never left the boat. They played until like their death, like to just like keep everybody calm almost. Like they did not leave, and it's just I don't know. It's it's tragic. That's the word I'll use. It's very tragic because it's a real life event. You have to wonder what. You know, what horrifyingness did they, like, like, I say horrifying, but the horror that they went through with the situation, it really makes you, like, put it into perspective that this stuff happens in real life. And I think even if you dramatize it, there's only so much more you can dramatize a horrible event to really get across how awful it was. But I think for me, it really is just the panic and the old couple laying there and the child and the mother that get me the most in those scenes. And just knowing that, like, hey, yeah, you have Jack and Rose, but there's, like, a crap ton of families on this, on this boat that lost it. Yeah, I mean, I really never cared that much about Jack and Rose's plot. To me, it just always felt more like they were essentially the, um, you know, you, you followed them around, but you really were paying attention to, say, everything else. Um, I think what make because I've only ever seen Titanic once. Like, Titanic was one of those movies that, like, I'm watching it once because it's that, like, emotionally grating for me. And I think yeah. what is, as you said, what's so sad about it is the horror the panic that ensues, and then the sad acceptance that you're going to die. Um, and that's, you know, to have this ship that was supposed to be gorgeous and luxurious and people were just there simply to get across and have a good time and this happening is such a tragic moment that, you know, you wish upon no one. Um, and that's very sad. I think that was, like, it's just so sad. It reminds me of, um, I don't want to be too off topic, but yesterday I watched this documentary. You mentioned about the old couple, right, knowing that, like, they wouldn't be able to get off of the ship. And it reminded me that yesterday I was watching this documentary about the terrorist attacks in France uh, back in, I forget what year, actually, my bad. But, like, 2014 or something, 2015, at the concert hall, and they they were interviewing the survivors, and this one woman who was a little bit more of a heavy set woman said at some point they were trying to get up into the ceiling, right? Like they were they uh, went to the bathroom. They went to the bathroom, 
and, you know, someone had the idea, like, well, let's just hide, you know, in, in the ceiling. But she was heavy, so it was so horrible for her to even try to get up there, and she really couldn't. And at some point, her, like, crying, saying, like, everyone else just go. Like, you guys just go, and I'll, I'll just stay here, you know? Um, oh, so no. Someone did eventually help pull her up there, so she was okay. Um, hey, at but, least she cared yeah. about the other people, though, or she was like, just go on without me, even though it's horribly, horribly sad. Uh, that whole documentary yesterday was sad. I'm not going to put that on the list, because it's a documentary, but it was fucking sad. But that's just what it reminded me of with the, the Titanic, like, knowing that you know, you're just, you're going to die. And, like, that's terrible. This is why, yeah. I'm, telling, I'm telling you to this day, this is why I don't go on cruise ships. I have no desire oh my God. to ever be on a cruise ship. Those people on Titanic thought that it's not, nothing's going to happen. It's unthinkable. And no, no, I ain't getting eaten by sharks. That's not happening. I'm not getting um, eaten by sharks. Nice. I I don't need to be on a pool on a boat in the water. I can just go to a pool. Um, but anyway, yeah, the Titanic is hella sad. Um, it's God, no, no. <laughs> I was gonna add to that. It was they had twenty lifeboats that could only accommodate. There was like two thousand and something on the boat, and twenty lifeboats could only accommodate like a thousand and one hundred and sixty, something like that. Like I, it's around that number. And so they couldn't even accommodate everybody on the boat. They could only accommodate, like, less than half. Well, that's why they always say women and children first. Um, oh, and then, you know. the movie where the guy dresses up as a woman to try to get on the yeah. boat? Doesn't the captain say, he's like, the captain must go down with the ship. I know. That is, yeah. You know what? Now I'm depressed. You know what? This isn't <laughs> what I needed today. <laughs> but it's what we're doing but yeah mm-hmm. the uh, Titanic is certainly depressing and makes us cry and absolutely deserves to be on this list so thank you for that uh, Brittany um, I am I'm going to hit number 7 and I'm actually going to do another animated movie because it makes me cry every single time I can never watch it without sobbing and it is Mulan. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's sad. Mulan. Mulan gets me every single time I watch it. The whole like you know story of it, where you know, first of all, like come on, everything about all right, everything about it, you watch it right, and her freaking father being called to war. He can't even freaking like stand up correctly or anything like that. And like him, you know, chiding uh, Mulan for even suggesting that, you know, he can't do this and her deciding that she's going to go off to war. And then everything that like goes on with that, right? She's just in there trying to, you know, she did it so that her father wouldn't, right? And that's like, Oh, my God, because, you know what, like, one man from each family has to be involved in this war against, you know, the um, the Huns. Um, yeah. and, then seeing, and then seeing her journey, like, first of all, Mulan, someone clearly who, like, 
they didn't fit into, like, the norm of the women at the time, right? She wasn't poised. She wasn't proper. She freaking made a mess when she met the matchmaker. And then it's like she doesn't fit in anywhere, right? It's like she doesn't fit in with the women. She doesn't fit in with the men. Even her ancestors are like, Mulan is going like what? Yeah. I told you that girl um, was trouble. That's what I always remember. One of the ancestors saying, "Ah, they're so like she's from your side of the family." <laughs> That's true. They're all like so mad. They're like, "Oh, oh!" And then like freaking it's like Mushu, and they're like, "Get the great dragon!" And he like ends up freaking destroying the statue and he's like oh the great dragon um but then you know Mulan is like you know getting shat on by all the other men because she's not doing what she's supposed to and then and then it's found out that she's a girl and it's like who cares that she like you know fought alongside them and came up with these great ideas. She's a woman and remember that one guy literally was like we have to kill her and I was like what? He was like automatic death, and I was like, "You bastard!" Um, and I'm obviously she's a woman. She's a woman. I always just remember his voice when he says that. Uh, he was that guy was so animated, and then her finally, like, you know what? Even though all these guys were bitches and all that, I'm still gonna help them out because I know that the Huns are alive and they're going to go attack the Emperor. She goes. They all work together. In fact, they even see that, like, you know, they adopt a little bit of her, like, feminine flair. They could also help, like, because I love when those three guys dress up in, like, the geisha outfits because they're like, oh, you know, like, maybe this will work and shit. But finally, the point that makes me cry, I'm getting to it, obviously, is freaking Mulan. They finally defeat the Huns. And the emperor has that speech where he was like, you know, you disobeyed this, you disregarded this, you put people's lives at risk, and you have saved China. Uh, and they all start bowing uh, towards her. I'm going to cry right now, even thinking about it. I'm like, Mulan, you, you did it. You did it. I was like, you did it. I was like, you proved all them wrong, and you're a woman in this man's world, just proving herself. And I'm just like, and then finally, when she gets home, and she presents, what, the sword to her father to be like, here's a gift. And he's like, the greatest gift is having you as a daughter. I can't. Oh, no. (laughs) That destroys me every time. So it's not like sad tears, but I cry Every time, like, again, even thinking about it, like, I'm going to cry just thinking about how freaking emotional this movie is for me. Um, Yeah, Mulan is just inspirational and emotional and all that jazz, and I don't care what live-action freaking movie they want to come out with, it is never going to hold a candle to the original animated movie. But anyway, Brittany, what do you think about Mulan? (laughs) It makes me think of, like, when the match figure is like, you will never find a husband. It's like, you would never live up to the original Mulan. Right? That's exactly me. You will never, never live up. And she was like, bitch, I don't need a husband. I don't need a husband. (laughs) You want to see forever? I was going to 
I say she didn't need to be all prim and proper to get a man who was like head over heels. Like that guy clearly was just fawning over her. Uh, no. Oh no! Oh my gosh, badass. <laughs> you know that's what gets me is like, um, oh, as so I think that was especially important, especially. You think about it. This is one of the only movies where the the female lead didn't automatically lead like like they they fell in love, but not super fell in love. They weren't like oh you know it wasn't until the very end that it was like oh do you want to stay for dinner and then it was implied, which obviously you have the other movies, but you get what I mean. Well, I mean, to me, it's like they never. You know, I think more so it's like he respected her, right? It wasn't like automatically like, oh, they're falling in love with each other. It's like he's, you know, respected her. He respected her, her. yes. You know? Um, That was another thing, like, when Frozen first came out, and they're like, it's the first time that a female center doesn't get romantically involved. And I'm like, did you not watch Mulan? Uh, It's like, they never kiss. As you said, they never kissed. The only implication was like, oh, do you want to stay for dinner? Um, And that was it. So to me, I'm like, you clearly forgot that Mulan even freaking existed. Um, so yeah, I just love this movie. I think that out of all of the Disney animated movies, it's so up top for me. Like, I think it, for me personally, it's it tops Lion King, which is another one of my favorites and obviously one oh, of the best. Oh, you love your, movies. you love it. Lion King is one of the best Disney animated movies out there. Um, and I also like Hercules. I always loved Hercules. That was always a good one for me. And The Hunchback of Notre Dame. But freaking, like, Mulan always was, like, number one there. By the way, we need to do a top ten of, like, best animated, uh, like, best songs and animated features. Oh, Oh yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I I'll make a man out of you is definitely like number one, <laughs> right? Um, and Hellfire from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, that was such a good one. Actually, I loved that movie. Um, I again, Hercules. I can put this. You know what? I kind of need this in my life. I'm going to go, like, rewatch so many movies probably the next couple of days since I have the next two days well, off and I ain't doing nothing. Well, I did give you – I guess I shouldn't say this on there, but fuck it. But I did give you my Disney Plus login. So no <laughs> shit, whole, girl. We have the whole library right there. But, yeah. Mulan is going to be my number seven because that film gets me every time. But, Brittany, what's your number six? I'm going to go with – I'm trying to remember if it's The Bridge to Terabithia. And I don't know if you've seen it. The Bridge to Terabithia? Sorry, it's Bridge to Terabithia. There's the in front of it. Would you like me to explain it to you? No, I'm joking. I'm going to explain it anyways. Okay. No, but so, who's in this? Because I feel like I know. Hang on. God, I know it more from the book It because it was a book first. It has Josh Hutcherson and Anna Sophia Robb, which these are all child actors, by the way. 
Hutchinson I heard was it. in something. Um, I can't remember what he's in. Zoe Deschanel's in something. Robert Patrick, Lauren Clinton, Emma Fenton. I don't know these people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, before you go on, my mom is literally like texting me, yelling at me, like, I can't believe neither of you are putting down the notebook. I've never seen the notebook. It's not going to be on my list. I haven't seen right? the notebook either. That's what I was telling your mom. I was like, I haven't it's seen most, it. So, so stop it, mom. I'll text neither of us, all right? I know you're listening right now. I've never seen the notebook. It's 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 emotionally manipulative. We all know the ending, okay? She has Alzheimer's. Wait, wait. I haven't seen it. the ending, and your mom's going to be mad because she said don't look at any spoilers. Oh, I already know the ending, too. But I'm sorry. This is your turn, Brittany. I apologize. Bridge to Terabithia. No, my God. Sorry, I'm just laughing. Laughing with you, not at you. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so it's about this boy. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he he's depressed. He's angry. He doesn't know how to deal with his emotions. You know, he has... He's very he's very angsty, angsty, uh, almost teenager, because I don't think he's quite a teenager in this yet. Well, he meets a girl, and she's wild, you know, she's free, and they basically become friends, and he he's kind of, he's letting that go, right? He, you know, but the thing is, is they keep going to, like, this uh, creek. I think it's, I think it's a creek, but they go, and they have a rope that they swing from to cross this uh to cross this little creek and so the and it's called a the it's bridge to it's called the bridge to terabithia but it throws me off that the isn't in front of the bridge because the english <laughs> and the brain goes that doesn't make sense and in terabithia they um i think what it is is that once they cross that creek that basically this is their imaginary kingdom right where they can live things as they want to. And, well, one day, you know, he's starting to learn how to, like, function on his own. And I think what it was is that he's supposed to meet Leslie in Terabithia, but he ends up taking, like, a little field trip with a teacher. I think it's just the two of them uh, to amuse them because, you know, he's starting to learn how to function a little bit better. Well, she ends up going by herself, and I think it had rained recently, so the creek is, like, overflowing, and uh, that rope, the the rope bridge that they have, like, you have the rope they can swing from, it snaps, and she hits her head and drowns, and it, yeah, it's really depressing, because as a kid, when you're watching it, you do not see it happening, like, it. Because I read the book, like, but like when that scene came up, I was like, "Oh no, 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 no!" Because it comes out of nowhere on you. Because I think he comes home, and and I could be making this all up for this part because I haven't seen it in so long. But he um he comes home, and they're like, you know, she's gone. Well, he can't deal with the grief of it, so he starts like pretending like she never existed. But, you know, it's not healthy, but, you know, how is a kid to deal with your best friend dying, right? And you weren't yeah. there. And he has a lot of issues because I don't think she was particularly, like, religious. And so she asked, you know, she went to, uh, I think, I I can't remember what denomination they are, but she wants to go for Easter Sunday 
to church with them because I don't think she's really ever gotten to go. And she asks, oh, what happens if you don't believe in God? And the little girl is like, oh, well, you go to hell. Because, you know, like when kids are like, yeah, you got to do it straight up. And Leslie's like, I don't think, you know, God just goes around, you know, damning people, right? And he's also dealing with that because he's afraid that since she died, she's going to hell and he doesn't know how to deal with it. And he eventually gets better, but that part came out of nowhere in the book. Like, like, in the movie, I knew it was coming, but just to, like, be a child reading this book, and you're like, oh, this is so good. I think we had to read it for school. Like, the school had us read it. And when she died, I was like, ugh. Like, I was emotionally pretty destroyed over it, and the movie is just as sad. So, yeah, Bridge to, uh, Bridge to Terabithia, that's going to be my choice. <laughs> I've heard of this movie, but I never saw it. But I'm looking up, like, Wikipedia stuff on it, and it's apparently gotten, like, really good reviews. People are saying it was, like, a faithful adaptation um, of the book, and it, you know omits the cutesy tween stereotypes and all that and so but the best thing that I looked up when I typed in in Google Bridge to Terabithia was you know how some people it's like people also ask and the first one was why is the Bridge of Terabithia banned? Bridge to Terabithia has the Bridge to Terabithia has the dubious distinction of being one of the most frequently banned and or challenged books in the United States, supposedly because of its references to witchcraft and atheism and a lot of swearing. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, uh, I don't know what's wrong with people because well, I don't remember any witchcraft happening in that movie. <laughs> That's like how, um, oh, God, Catcher in the Rye was like, you know, burned, the book was burned when it first came out. People were like, how oh, terrible, blah, blah, blah. And, like, any, if you read Catcher in the Rye now, you're like, what is so controversial about this book? That literally they held, like, bonfires for this book at the time. So, um, yeah. I just I was say, you're bringing up memories for me of a kid in school that would just carry the book around. He was never actually reading it. He just wanted to be seen having it in his hand because you know, he's so well, edgy. Well, I was going to say, anyone who idolizes Holden Caulfield um, definitely is a psychopath and should be, like, avoided at all costs. I will say that. Um, but, yeah, Bruce to Terabithia, I... I feel like at the time, maybe I was just a little too old to see this, like, when it first came out, because, you know, I I don't know. I just feel like that's maybe why I never caught it or anything, but it's so funny because I think out of that cast, what, is, like, Josh Hutchinson, like, the only one who's really, like, known at this point? Oh, yeah, and Zoe Deschanel, but I don't really know anybody oh, else that's on there. That is true. That is true. It's funny that it's like you have these, like, quote-unquote kids movies because it's like, oh, kids. But then you have some, like, depressing-ass shit in the movie such as death, and you're like, I wonder if when the kids who are, you know, the actors are doing this can even, say, comprehend that, like, you know, the the seriousness of what they're filming. 
Like, I just feel like, that, like you, if, you, if you ask a kid, like, hey, you're going to die in this movie, it's like, what? <laughs> if you die in the dream, you die for real. Like, sometimes if you die in the movie, you die for real. <laughs> oh, God. But I love it. I'm sure that others who are listening to this will, you know, agree that Bruce's Paravisia it was definitely, like, well-deserving of being the number six. Um, I'm going to hit the number five. Let me look at my list really quick to determine if I'm doing this correctly. Um, you okay, never do anything in... correct. Oh, wow. 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 I'm going to put another movie that frequently makes me cry and that I've actually never seen other than once because that didn't even make sense. That was not proper English. I apologize. Um, I've only seen it once because it's that freaking emotionally heartbreaking and it's going to be The Pianist uh, with Adrian Brody. Oh, no. Right, which is a movie that he even won an Oscar for and... You know, I've explained it before on, I believe I've picked it before on the top 10, but it's uh, based on the true story of a Polish Jewish uh, pianist during the uh, Nazi occupation where they pretty much just came in and obliterated everyone. And it follows his journey of being in the Jewish ghettos and seeing everyone being killed in such horrific manners around him. I'll say that, you know, again, like one of the most intense, I think the point of the movie where I literally like sat there and I was like, this isn't like your average war movie. Cause I've seen plenty of world war two movies. I enjoy them. And I was just like in it. And the moment where I kind of like, you can feel like your facial muscles like dropping. Cause you're like, Oh, what was definitely when he was in his apartment and he's looking across the way of this family who is going to have dinner and these Nazis come in, they require all of them to stand, but the elderly man of the family is in a wheelchair and they're like, stand, and they're like, he can't, he's in a wheelchair. And they literally wheel him off the balcony. And that's no, when I was just like, and I just sat there and I was like, oh my God. Um, so yeah, that movie makes me so emotional. Just, you know, uh, like just the desperation of Adrian Brody's character, the um, horrors that happen throughout this, you know, Holocaust movie. And then the end, like I swear, Spoiler alert, right? He goes through the whole movie at some point, like, you know, it goes from, like, this nice town that's just being occupied to a complete, like, ghetto to, like, rubble at some point. Because then, like, you know, the Nazis are kind of, like, leaving at that point. They're not, and he is, like, hiding because they've killed everyone else. There's only a few Nazis around. And he ends up, like, kind of befriending one of the Nazis because he, like, finds this guy, because he's a pianist, so at some point he's, like, playing the piano, and the Nazi likes it, so he's like, I'll give you bread, and I'll keep your secret, you know, that you're even here if you just play for me. Um, And it's getting, like, winter, and they're like, you know, we have to leave because the freaking, you know, Russians are coming, 
Um, he's like, so here's my coat, you know, because it's cold. So you're like, you know, so the Russians come in, right? And you think like, oh, my God, like, he's finally going to get saved, right? Like, he's been through all of this shit throughout the whole entire movie. And at the very end, he, like, goes to go out. And at first, the Russians think that he's a freaking Nazi because he has the Nazi coat on. Uh And for a split second, I'm like, are you going to tell me that this guy has been through this entire shit just to get killed by the Russians because he's wearing a coat from the Nazis? But but he finally, like, because his voice, you know, like, obviously was Polish. And they're like, oh, he's he's just Polish. And they're like, why the fuck are you wearing that? And he's like, it was cold. (laughs) Well, I'm impressed. Thank you, Tia. Thank you. You know what? That was a good pick because, yeah, that's hella sad. It's so sad. It's like that in the Titanic I can only ever watch once because it just took everything out of me emotionally. It was so freaking sad. And like Adrian Brody did an amazing job. And the whole, like it didn't even feel sometimes like a a movie. It literally felt like you were watching through a window what was happening in the past. And you were just so depressed over it. You know what? Sometimes I'm like, I should watch this movie. Another time they're like, nah, bro, I'm good. I'm good. And I think that's one of them. It definitely is like that. But it certainly, I think, is like Adrian Brody's best movie. Like, he's a good actor, but I think that definitely was like his peak, you know? I don't need to hurt like this, Tia. <laughs> I don't need I this felt in my life. I felt everything literally, like, leaving your body in that moment. Because uh, I was sitting there, and I was, like, looking at my list, and I was, like, listening to you, and I was, like, you know what? This doesn't get any better from here. This doesn't get better until <laughs> oh. the podcast ends. To be fair, when I told you yesterday, like, oh, let's do the top ten movies that make you cry, you're, like, that's easy. So you agreed to this. Yeah, but uh, you're like the head bitch, so whatever you say goes. You could have, you could have, uh, you could have changed this to you. You could have uh, helped me out here. Well, you know, I this isn't a dictatorship. Um, you could have uh, offered some sort of other suggestions. <laughs> Oh, I'm like staring at the phone, giving you the dirtiest look. No, I'm just joking. I can't. I can't see it, girl. I can't see it. If I can't see it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Listen again. Like sometimes you just need a good cry. Like I cry over everything. To be fair, like there's sometimes where I'm watching something and like Polly looks over at me and he's like, "Are you crying right now?" And I'm like, "No, no." no. <laughs> Just because, like, I just feel that I'm that emotional when it comes to, like, I won't get that emotional at news, right? Like, news will happen. I'll be like, yeah, okay, whatever. But then, like, movies that are about real things, then I'll start sobbing. I don't need this in my life. But is that is that going to be your your commentary every, every single time? I don't need this yeah, in my I just, life. Yeah, I don't need that in my life. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, we're kind of breezing through this list. So uh, number five is The Pianist. Uh, Brittany, what's your number four? 
Let me look at it. Let me let me see what my next sadness is going to be. Um, so let's see, because I have two left. I'm trying to think. You know what? I'm gonna go with my girl. Have you seen my oh, girl? No. I haven't. But when I looked at like the list of like sad movies and stuff, this this appeared on it. So I will I will. Put it down. Go ahead. Take it away. My girl, so you have this girl. Her dad is, I think, a funeral director or a mortician. It kind of goes hand in hand. So she, uh, and this has been her life forever, right? And uh, they, I'm trying to remember if, I think either they move here to this home, right? Or I, I think that's it. I think they move here. And so she doesn't really have any friends, but she befriends this one little boy, actually played by, uh, oh, the guy from Home Alone, the kid. Uh, Macaulay Culkin. Yes, he's in it. And he's, like, tiny, right? He's, like, even younger than that movie. And, you know, they befriend each other. And it's this good, like, coming-of-age movie. Like, she's dealing with emotions, like, she has a teacher, and I can't. I think he's like her, like instrument teacher. This is where I don't remember a lot of the movie because there. I mostly am focusing on why it was so sad. So if I get anything wrong, just know I know I'm wrong. Okay, um, but okay. she falls in love with this teacher, right? Like it's her first. Like I think all as little kids, we had a crush on someone that was older, right? Like whether or not it was a babysitter or a teacher or something, and she has such a thing for him. Well, her and the little boy they they become fast friends. It's them going on a little adventures together. Just uh, you know, just like I said, a coming of age. They're always riding their bikes together. Uh, they get someone to do the makeup for these dead bodies and. You know, her dad's falling in love with her, and, you know, she's not had, I think her mom passed away when she was young, but she doesn't know how to deal really with death because she's been raised around it her entire life. Well, the little boy, he, uh, I think he loses his glasses, and he, uh, like, while they're not together, this kind of makes me think of Bridge to Terabithia, is he goes and goes to, um, to find his glasses, and or I don't know if it's his glasses or what. He finds something her, in the leaf. Her, uh, he, the girl loses her mood ring. Mood ring, that's what it was. Thank you. Um, she, because I can't remember, because I thought he lost his glasses at some. No, I know why the glasses are getting brought up in my mind. He goes there. He finds her mood ring. Well, he, uh, he disrupts this hornet's nest he ends up getting stung a lot like multiple 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 times and he's allergic to most anything but he's especially allergic to things he ends up dying yeah he ends up dying uh her only friend in this world and uh she doesn't know how to deal with it and she even uh like and at some point, like, when she she runs off because she's so 
upset over the friend's death because her father's like trying to explain it which by the way she has a grandma too that has like alzheimer's that she's dealing with and she's kind of put in charge of her sometimes which is like a big job for like a girl that's like 11 or younger yeah and so she runs off and she goes to tell her teacher that she loves him and she wants them to be together and she wants to live with them and as she's like pouring out her heart the teacher's uh I don't know if it's his wife fiance or girlfriend walks out and she's like oh what's wrong you know blah blah blah, because she's really sweet and kind and the teacher's just like I'm so sorry you know because you know it's just little kid emotion and she runs away well she runs to the doctor and she's like I'm dying I'm dying my heart you know I'm dying like you guys would have never had to deal with such sadness and upsetness and her heart's broken and you know she lost her best friend and the only thing that was going to make her feel better is expressing her love to this teacher and he's like you know and then realizing you know he's basically almost I think he's married or not married I can't remember that's why I'm butchering this right now but (laughs) just her dealing with it it's like so sad it's like one thing after another and you know she has all these little kid emotions and there's a part at the funeral right because the kid that's what it was he loses his glasses right when he gets hurt like when he's trying to fight off the the wasp and he loses his glasses and she wasn't going to come to the funeral it's an open casket funeral right and yeah. she wasn't going to come because it's happening in her home, by the way. The funeral is because she lives there. It's the funeral home. And she finally comes downstairs, and she just walks up to the casket in the middle of, like, the eulogy. And she just starts crying, and she's like, where are his glasses? He can't see without his glasses because she wants him to have his glasses. And she starts panicking so hard that her dad has to drag her away because she's causing this huge scene. But, you know, she didn't know how to deal with her emotions, like, in the middle of, like, in front of the little boy's family, which, you know, it's understandable. They're not upset with her. But, you know, after you lose your son and watch his only friend, like, sob over the casket at him, screaming that he needs his glasses or he's not going to be able to see, it's pretty traumatic. And so, yeah, I can't remember the ending of it. I think she eventually heals, but God, it's just like one thing after another. Like, I used to watch it all the time with mom, and I'm like, it doesn't get any less sad. Not after all these years. It says, on the last day of her writing class, Vada reads out a poem that she wrote about the death of Thomas J. and then goes outside to ride bikes with her new best friend, Judy. Oh, so she does move on. I was going to say, she has some <laughs> no, no, but I'm just saying, like, joking, she can't be friendless forever. I was just joking. But no, that sounds so sad. I've seen the gift before of, like, you know, Macaulay Culkin in the casket, and it's like, he needs his glasses, and I didn't know what that was, too. That's so sad. Like, I mean, I can't even imagine comprehending the death of like of friends when you're that young um that's so incredibly sad like and oh god like I can't even imagine like watching that I feel like that would be too much for me (laughs) 
Yeah, you know what? Next time we see each other, we're watching that movie. Oh my god! It's just like <laughs> I can hear the not want in your voice. Like no. I was gonna make a joke and go, "Well, who the hell knows when that's gonna be?" Um, All right. But... Oh, don't make me look more sad than I already am. Yeah, no, seriously though, my girl. Um, that's just, like, oh god, that because it's like, you know, I've luckily have been so fortunate never to have you know lost a friend like that. Um. My mother has, you know, been unfortunate um, to lose friends, you know, who have passed away. Um, But it's like, you know, as a kid, how do you even begin to wrap your head around that, you know? Because you have, like, all this sense of adventure. You know, you have this sense of adventure. You think you're invincible, and then suddenly something like this happens and then you're a little kid going, oh, where's his glasses? And it's like, who has the heart to tell this kid it doesn't matter where his glasses is? He ain't seeing anywhere. Yeah, it's like that they can't deal with that. Uh, yeah, so it's funny that, like, Macaulay Culkin, uh, how his career was when he was younger in these, like, you know, huge movies that were essentially staples for, like, anyone who grew up in the 90s. Yeah, like, like, he he had such, like, a career. I was waiting for you to continue, and then it, like, cut off, and I was like, oh, it's my turn. Um, (laughs) No, like, I'm passing the ball. He, um, I'm trying to think of the word for this. He... I, he's almost like he's, like, trying to get a comeback, which I know he, like, I think willingly stopped acting, but every now and then, like, he did a parody of, like, Home Alone, but, like, as an adult, and that was pretty oh, good. Oh, I saw that. That was hilarious. It, <laughs> it is. And so they sat, and then, you know, I think he was, like, on something else, but it seems like he's eventually just making his own little comeback eventually. Hopefully we'll see him again one day. Because he was a great actor. Um, his brother was in, um, oh, oh, something versus the world. I can't remember the name of it. Well, he oh. did just get Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Yes, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Okay, I didn't even know that Macaulay Culkin had a brother, so that's news to me. Yeah, yeah, uh, his brother <laughs> plays the guy, the guy that is gay in it, that is always having a different boyfriend. I, you know, I only saw that was another like movie that I only saw once, and I only really wanted to see it because of Chris Evans and his freaking eyebrows in it. <laughs> oh my god! So like, don't do my eyebrows, though. My bros, but um, Macaulay Culkin actually got cast in the upcoming season of American Horror Story, so he is Ooh. certainly trying to um, make a comeback. Which I don't watch um, American Horror Story to begin with, so that won't be something that's on my list. But you know, good for him, right? Yeah, American Horror Story is really sad in a lot of places. Speaking of sad things. Oh my god! To me, I was just freaked out. Like, oh, okay, I know who this guy is. I just looked him up. My bad. Um, but 
Yeah, I um, I tried to watch the first season, and I was like, nope, nope, a whole lot of nope. <laughs> I know. Like, but, I watched uh, it with my mom. Like, well, they have, like, a school shooter guy in it, and you're supposed to, like, think he's hot. And I'm like, this feels weird. Well, I know that every season is different, right? Like, even though they have the same actors, for the most part, that every season is a different story. So you don't really need to watch it, say, in order. But I I don't know. I just, it's not it's not for me, dog. <laughs> it's going to be a no from me, dog. I wanted to emulate you because you always say that. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so, number four is My Girl certainly deserves to be on this list because it sounded hella sad. Anything about animals or children dying is freaking horrific. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to take yeah. uh, I'm going to take number three, and it's going to be the movie for colored girls, um, which is actually, it's, so it's a movie by Tyler Perry and it was an adaptation of the, uh, it says Choreo poem. I don't even know what a Choreo poem is. Is that like dramatic expression? Okay. A poem. All right. And the full, oh the full name, the full name is, for colored girls who have committed, who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Um, so anyway, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, but to me it was like one of, so for colored girls, 2010 it came out. And I know like a lot of people think when you have, say, Tyler Perry that, you know, you think of Medea, right? But there is no Medea. There is no Medea in this movie. Um, it is very much a dramatic movie, a very sad and heartbreaking movie, and it deals with um, various stories of different women throughout the movie. But to me, three stories stood out the most, so I'm going to kind of go through them. So it's all these, like, separate lives of these women that event up, eventually end up kind of coming together, not in any other sort of way other than just to be, say, like a support group for each other. But yeah. So you have, uh, say, this one woman who is dating this man, and, you know, essentially in your head you're like, he's the only good man in this whole movie. Well, we'll get back to that one because you are wrong. Um, So you have have that one. She just started dating this guy. Then you have Janet Jackson's in it, right? She plays, like, this really, like, hardened boss, you know, just so, like – uh, where's my assistant? You know, where's my coffee? Why don't you have my papers ready? You know, and her assistant is this woman who is married to a veteran who is like has extreme PTSD and who is an extreme alcoholic and extremely abusive, right? So she's like Ooh. living. So this, so this main girl who has the veteran as a husband is living in this, like, hell on earth. But no one knows about it. She doesn't say anything to anyone. So Janet Jackson, as her boss, is just kind of like, you know, why are you always showing up, you know, like this, 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 and that. And then so finally there's this one day where she goes to work and she doesn't have the paperwork that, you know, Janet Jackson needs. And Janet Jackson's like, where's my paperwork, you know? And she's like, it's at home. She's like, I'll go get it. And she's like, we'll take my limo, you know, like, we'll go, 
you know, so they go there, and Janet Jackson's like, well, hurry up, you know, and she goes upstairs, and, you know, the husband is, you know, drunk and half crazy and stuff, and she's just trying to get her stuff, but he is, like, interpreting it as if she's leaving, and she's like, no, I'm just getting my paperwork, you know, for my boss. Yeah, the one that's sitting outside in the limo. Yeah, but he doesn't see it that way. He's, like, interpreting like you're trying to leave, you know, and then she's like, she says something like, you know, oh, let me go say goodbye to my kids. Or she says, like, my kids, right? And he's like, they're my kids. You're not taking away my kids. And she's like, no one says that, you know? like this whole Yeah, I just want to say goodbye to my kids. Yeah, so then at this point, Janet Jackson's getting, like, you know, agitated because she's having to wait. And so she gets out of her limo. She's kind of, you know, standing out there, like, you know, huffing and puffing. All this is happening while the husband upstairs is, I'm, just, I'm not even going to prolong it. I'm just going to, like, come out and say it. He literally freaking throws both of their children off of, like, a four-story building because he's, like, that fucking out of his mind. And so Janet Jackson, like, obviously is witnessing it. Yeah, he kills both of the oh, babies. Oh, no, what the hell? That's what I'm saying. It's so sad. And, like, Janet Jackson's character is, like, witnessing this. Because then she's like, oh, my God. You know, someone call, like, the cops, obviously. And the mother who's upstairs is obviously begging her husband, like, don't do this. What are you talking about? You know, and they're like, they're like practically babies. They're like four or five years old. It's so sad. It's the most like intense moment in what the whole What the hell? Movie. This went zero to a hundred real quick, Tia. <laughs> zero to a hundred real quick. But I'm going to tell you because we watched for color girls in my sociology class in college, and one of my classmates said, it's like once you. Like, you're watching a part of the movie, and you're like, okay, that's the saddest it can be. And then it's, like, sad again. And then the next no. one is sad again. Because it's, like, just so one on top of the other. So it's, like, that's horrific on its own, right? Obviously, like, you know, he gets arrested. She's, like, in a depression. So it's, like, all right, there's that story, right? Yeah, because she then, lost her children because her crazy husband threw them off the balcony. Oh, no, it was so, so horrible. I was, like... He, oh my God, is he doing this? I was like, this this movie isn't gonna go there, and it's like, no. Then the movie like went there, and I was like, no. Um, so you have that, right? And that's sad. And then I'm gonna go to the two other stories that I also like stood out the most to me. So you have Janet Jackson's character, um, you know, like the bitch, but she obviously, you know, softens up once you know that happens because she realizes like. You know, hard. Like I've been a major dictator, and she's been living in abuse, and I just abused her more. Exactly, but so she like lives this very rich lifestyle. She's very successful, but her husband, you find out, is cheating on her with other men. Um, and she oh, starts. Snap. Yeah, so she starts finding out about that, and he's just kind of like, like there's this really intense scene, like towards the end, like they're sitting um, on opposite ends of the bed, right? Like, they're not looking at each other, and he, she's just like, you know, you just never told me. She was like, how could you keep this from me? And he's just like, you know, how am I supposed to tell my wife that I'm a man who enjoys having sex with other men, you know? And there's, like, this really intense, like, scene, right? And she's just like, well, I want you to pack up your shit and leave 
And she turns around and she slaps this paperwork on the bed. She goes, and you can take your AIDS with you because she got <gasps> tested. And she tested positive and that's how she, like, knew. And you're like, oh, oh she my got it God. from him? Oh. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Oh, I know. I was like, <laughs> so that happened. And then remember the girl who I said before had the relationship with the guy that you think's really nice, and you're like, wow, he's the only decent man in this whole entire movie. Good for him. Yeah, no. She invites him over, and she cooks dinner for him, right? And she's like, oh, so nice, all, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes to, like, put the moves on her, and she's like, oh, you know, this is our first date, you know, blah, blah, blah. Because, like, they had met each other, and they, like, saw each other, but this is, like, their first, like, real date date, you know? Like, she was, yeah. you know, you, you can come, I'll, I'll cook for you and everything, it'll be nice, but it's essentially the first date. Before then, it was just, like, coffee and a few talks here and there and he goes to put the moves on she's like no I'm not like that like we're not going to have sex on the first date and he's like the hell we aren't and literally rapes her like badly what the hell yeah exactly and I'm just like there are literally no good men in this movie (laughs) Um, so like and there's other I'm just thoroughly depressed I'm just uh and there there's other like, you know, stories throughout the movie um, because there's about, like, ten different women, but I just can't remember, say, all their stories because, to me, those three stood out the most. It was just so depressing. I cried the entire freaking movie. I was just sitting there like, oh, my God. You Every single time you thought that it was like, that's it, that's the extent, no, then it just got sadder and like none of these women could like catch a freaking break um it did kind of come together at the end like all of them you know um rallying behind each other and realizing like you know you know like you have people who some women who are living you know very luxuriously like Janet Jackson's and others who are living in like shitty apartments and it's like doesn't matter you know what your walk of life is but just coming together and supporting each other and feeling like okay with this support group everything's going to be okay <sighs> I felt emotionally drained from all of that not gonna <laughs> lie <laughs> I feel so, like I need a break. It's so bad. It's just like you freaking oh yeah. There's Don't there's like a lot. I'm trying more. to see. Well, at some point, one girl I do remember gets one of those like coat hanger abortions, and that was pretty fucking horrific too. Um. But I can't remember what? how that exactly went. If she like ends up dying or something like that, I forget. But yeah, that was terrible too. So, what yeah, kind of depressing shit are you watching, Tia? It's it's so depressing. For Colored Girls, is like one of the most depressing movies of all time, and that's why I had to put it on this list because I saw. And okay, so if you can imagine, right? being in a classroom full of people and, like, trying not to cry because you're in a classroom, but, like, uh-huh. having to do those, like, small things where you're, like, trying to hold it in, but, like, you're thankful that the lights are off because tears are literally streaming down your face and you're trying not to just 
sob like in front of I everyone. Used to hate that because I would try over every sad movie, and I was like, "Why are we watching this? Why are we watching this in class? I don't want to cry. I don't want people to see I'm human." I will say so to me, like for Color Girls is my favorite, like Tyler Perry movie, just because it was so like emotional and unlike other things that I have seen from him. But I will say that another movie that made me quite sad, but obviously had a much happier ending from Tyler Perry was, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Diary of a Mad Black Woman. I have. I have. I think we've talked about this once upon a time. We probably have because even though that has, that does have Medea in it, that too was sad because I was like, I feel your heartbreak, girl. <laughs> I'm mad too. <laughs> I'm oh. yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to throw a ringer out there. So yeah, my number three is for color girls. Um, Brittany, what is your number two? <laughs> Golly, this just got worse as it went on. Better, but worse. More emotionally draining? <laughs> yeah, I love being emotionally drained. It's my favorite. Um, I'm going to go with The Green Mile. Have you seen okay. it? I'm going to get some class for this, and I have never seen The Green Mile. I'm hanging up, and I'm never talking to you again. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> that ain't right. That ain't right. Okay, the Green Mile is about there, and you have to think about in this time period, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. it is fairly racial at this point, too, because it's very like uh, old timey jail type setting, and it all takes place on. On death row, right? And I'm trying to remember why they call it the Green Mile, but I think it's because it's like your last step before you die, basically. And so you have a very large black man who's been accused of killing two little white girls. And so you can get what this has been stereotyped as, right? Well, yeah, he's on death row but he's such a gentle man. I got to remember his name. And he's very, like, very humble, very, like, submissive in a way. Like, he's, but he's very religious. And it's mm. Tom Hanks. Is- well, it looks like we lost Brittany, actually, in the middle of her explaining the Green Mile. Um Hopefully she'll call back uh, very soon to finish explaining the movie to us because, as I just mentioned, I have actually never seen this film, which I know is very shocking considering it's probably one of the most revered and well-known movies to this date. But, Brittany, you're back. (laughs) I was like, I'm back. I was like, you get so emotional while it's explaining this so she's like I just it gotta hang up. Me <laughs> off. It just went it went click bye and I was like what? Oh my god. I told you everything always has to happen to our top ten. <laughs> I know. But I was just saying like he is he's a very humble like God fearing type man, right? Well mm-hmm. so 
and it's around that time period where um, think of like I don't I know you haven't seen the movie The Help, right? Where it's still like not too far from like slavery times. So it, even though you know racism is very much alive right now, it's like it was even worse at this point. And he basically he's found cradling the two bodies of these little dead girls, right? But and and so they're like, oh, it's pretty cut and dry because the father wakes up, right, and the daughters are gone, and, you know, he looks for them, and he finds their dead bodies in that guy's arms, right, which, you know, obviously it wasn't him, so you figure out, like, the reason he's so, like, very religious to, I don't know quite how to explain it, but he can perform miracles through, you know, basically God, and he, but whenever he heals people, it ends up, like, like it like it almost turns the sickness into like these bugs. I don't know exactly how to explain it. And he breathes it out through his mouth, right? And yeah. so there's at one point that, you know, Tom Hanks is believing like, you know, he's just like, Oh yeah, everybody's always innocent and this guy isn't always crying his innocence, right? He's just he's just I don't know, he's so sweet, he's such a teddy bear. Like I love him. And, like, he, um, and it's going through these other death row inmates, too, but there's one part where Tom Hanks' character, I think he has uh, kidney stones or a bad UTI that he can't fix, where every time he pees, it hurts so bad that he nearly passes out, and he's always too scared to pee. At one point, the man, like, grabs him between his legs, right? And you're like, oh, my God, what is he doing? But it's because he's healing him, and he ends up breathing that sickness out of him. And you see Tom Hanks' character, like, I think he tells him, like, oh, you're not going to have that problem anymore. And he goes to pee, and his freaking eyes roll back in his head because it feels so good to pee and not hurt because he healed him. And there's a part where the, the warden, I think it's the warden, his wife is very sick, and Tom Hanks is like, you know, he can cure her. He can cure I think she has cancer, and he, because mm-hmm. I think that is it. I'm trying to remember. I butcher a lot of these because it's been so long since I've seen the movie, and they sneak him out, and he, heal, he heals the wife, you know, and she's better, but it nearly kills him because she was so sick, right? Well, as the oh, movie wow. goes on, you, what'd you say? No, I said, oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I thought you said, hold on. That's why I was like, wait a second. But so, yeah, that happens, right? Well, and right. and, and everybody's like, we got to save this guy. What you, learn, what you learn is somebody else murdered those little girls, but the reason he was cradling them is he was trying to heal them, but it was already too late because there was, like, blood everywhere. They were uh, mur- murdered by somebody that, like, took them out of the house, which you find them later on, like another inmate that gets caught for something else, right? But this entire time, there's even, like, this one awful corrections officer that's just, like, very abusive to these people. Like, yeah. just horribly abusive to them. And he's such a worm. Like, there's even this part where this one death row inmate, his only friend in the world is this mouse, Right? And he steps on yeah. it and mm. kills it. What a dick. But 
the man brings back the mouse. He breathes life back into it. Like, like it's so emotional. But uh, there's a part that still gets me that it's like, I think he always calls him boss. And I think that's what I'm trying to remember what he said. He's like, I'm tired, boss. But I'm mostly tired of people being awful to one another. Like, like it's just so sad. It makes me want to cry. And there's even a point where, like, one of the death row inmates, like, the one guy that stepped on the mouse didn't like him. So when he was getting electrocuted, I think he didn't, like, wet the sponges. So he basically just fried to death. Like, it's pretty horrific. Yeah. And you want to know the saddest part? It's no matter all this stuff, the guy says, you know, basically, yeah, he gets... He he get he goes to the electric chair and he dies. Uh, even after all this, he still dies. And that's the part where I ugly sob. And I remember mom and dad used to watch this movie all the time. And I would be like, oh, it's such a good movie. And once it got around that part, I noped the fuck out of there. I was out. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I was like, I'm out of here. But yeah, he he still died at the electric chair. Even after everything, after healing the warden's wife, after everything, he still gets electrocuted. I can't even comprehend. Like, yeah, yeah. I think I think this deserves to be on the list. I think after all this healing and after he got falsely accused, but really he was just trying to save those little girls, but they were already too far gone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have multiple points to be made, all right? Multiple points. Huh? One is, I said I have multiple points. One is, fuck this movie. Never going to watch it, no. <laughs> um, another is, I watched a, there's this another documentary on Netflix called The Innocence uh, Files. And it's pretty much how, like, even if law enforcement knows that someone is innocent of a crime, it would be such, like, an embarrassment for them to even admit that, that they most of the time don't even, like, pursue it. So it's, like, that could be it, right? With And also on yeah. top of, like, the, bla- the blatant racism. Um, another is yeah. this movie This movie stars my grandmother's main hand, Tom Hanks, who luckily recovered yeah. from COVID-19. Um and it's crazy to think that, like, Michael Clark Duncan, who plays, like, you know, the main guy, is dead. I don't know if you realize it, but this guy oh, just, like, passed away a few years. Yeah, this guy passed away a few years ago. Isn't that so sad? Like, on his own? On his own? <laughs> he died in, like, 2012. By the way, his name, was, his name was John in the movie. John. John Coffey. You know who also is in this movie? Who? Sam Rockwell. Wait, which one's Sam Rockwell? Oh, wait. Who plays Justin Hammer in Iron Man 2? Oh, my gosh. Tia. (laughs) Wait, I I think it's Bill Wharton. The guy he plays, I'm trying to remember. He was the guy that killed the little girls. It was him. Wow. Yeah. So, can't exactly love him in this movie, Tia. 
<laughs> there was like an interview where he's like, apparently all I ever do is play like racist people in movies. And I'm like, well, stop accepting the roles that no one told all right, you. Right, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know why I've never like watched this movie because it's you know, regarded as one of, like, the best movies of all time, you know, and it's certainly probably one of Tom Hanks's best, and, you know, um, Mr. Duncan's, I forget what his first name, first and middle name are already, my bad. Um, I also looked up why is it called The Green Mile, and they said that it refers to the stretch of green, green floor leading from the cells to the death, the death chamber. So I guess that's why. But um, that's so but sad. Like bringing up you bringing up that picture you just sent me is exactly where I knew him from. Remember how I kept saying, "Oh, I know him from somewhere. I know him from somewhere." Right? <laughs> it was this movie. Oh my god! It was yeah, this yeah. movie. This is like you know an actor did a good enough job when you just know you hate them and you can't remember why you hate them. <laughs> Well, I guess you have to remember, like, Sam Rockwell's, like, 50, so he's been in, like, uh, the business for a very long time. How old, is like, he? How old is he? He's, like, 50. No, you're a liar. No, no, because I remember looking that up, and I was like, wait, I thought that man was, like, in his early 40s. Yeah, he's 51 years old. Well... He aged well. Right? He's still a monster, but he aged well. <laughs> no, seriously, Brittany, like, this sounds heartbreaking. I can't even imagine, like, because you sit there and it's like, you want so desperately for a character like that to live because of, you know, obviously he's innocent. So you in your mind, you're like, he's innocent. So let him out. And it's like, no, and because God forbid they have a happy ending to something like this. <laughs> oh no! And I think what they were trying to pull a parallel was this like a religious symbolism of like even though Jesus was innocent, you know, they still put him on the cross. And I think that's almost like what they were doing with him, with John's character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he because it was, was like a religious. Yeah, like it had yeah. that religious undertone, overtone. I, I'm, I don't know which one fits undertone. well for there, but undertone, where because you know all this and how religious he was, that maybe they were trying to pull that parallel of him still dying anyway. That could be it, but I still don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it either, Tia. And by the way, that picture you sent me—that is, that is a. Big fucking man. <laughs> like, I know he's ginormous. He was so tall, like, and he's so buff. I was like, Jesus, like he is a Did big you know? man. I all right. I need to look it up really quick because that's just the mood that I'm in right now. Um, but I don't want to say it before anything, so I'm gonna keep looking it up. But I'm gonna keep talking while I do it because I wanted to say this fun fact, but I also didn't want to be wrong. You ever have that? You're like, I'm going to come out yeah. with a fun fact. And then it's like, I don't feel like being challenged right now. Oh, and he right, was 6'5", by the way. Holy shit. Oh, yeah, that was it. Okay, I was right. Did you know he played Wilson Fisk in the Daredevil movie? <laughs> like, that's, that's a big man to play him. That's what it is. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, if only he was a Wilson Fisk in a better movie, but... <laughs> Oh, by the way, he he died of a heart attack. Like he well, he survived, I think the the heart attack, but then uh, a couple of minutes later died from it. Yeah, I'm depressed now. All right, thanks, thanks, Brittany. But um, yeah, the Green Mile definitely. I'm sure, like just hearing about it, I 100% agree with you that it deserves to be on this list, and I'm sure that there are plenty of others. And I don't even want to look at my phone to see my mom going, you know, I've been the Green Mile. Um, (laughs) this has been the top 10 movies that make you cry we're up to the number one and as always let's go through the uh, previous nine movies that fill us with sadness and it's going to be Up, Inside Out Titanic, Mulan Bridge to Terapathia The Pianist My Girl for Colored Girls, which I didn't do that on purpose, I swear, uh, The Green Mile, and my number one, I'm actually going to put a superhero movie onto it because this oh. did destroy me and make me cry. And it's going to be Logan, 2017 <gasps> Logan. <No>. because <laughs> This whole movie, first of all, was depressing because you go and see the X-Men movies and you're expecting a good time you know, it's a superhero movie. There's going to be the big battle. The heroes are going to win in the end. And it's going to be one of those hurrah movies. No. It's depressing as shit. You know, at this point, Wolverine is a sad shell of himself. We see he's breaking phones constantly. He's drinking. There's no X-Men else other. You know, there's no X-Men around which you then later on find out the tragic truth as to why none of the original X-Men are around. But on top of that, what seemed to me to be the saddest part of the film, not only was Wolverine's deterioration, but seeing someone as Professor X, who was always, say, the touchstone for everyone, all the mutants, losing his mind to Alzheimer's. And, you know, it's something crazy that they bring up that it's like someone who has that powerful of a mind to then be experiencing Alzheimer's. That's, it was so sad because it's like the two of them just like having to kind of be around each other. And it's like, they're both shells of who they formerly were and having to deal with like the ramifications of the life that they've lived. And it's not, it's not happy, right? There's no mutant, you know, mansion. There's no big send off. It's them living in squalor and in hiding and it's like that's not how you expect it to see the end of these two characters right and what gets Um, me is like Logan is so desperate to like make a good place for Xavier like he has no malice over the death of the other X-Men but he just wants him to be safe and happy and that's why he wanted him to put him on the boat exactly because all it because it's like if you think about it, he owes so much to Professor X, you know, like so much to this man. And he knows that he can't control what he's going through. I mean, there's so many depressing factors to this movie. All of that, which I just explained, Logan, um, you know, discovering his daughter and what's going on with them. I thought that was horrifically, like, tragic that basically, you know, Donald Pierce and all his goons were pretty much okay with killing children. 
Um, and then on top of that, freaking, oh, God, Xavier's death. Like, him thinking, like, Logan was there to comfort him, oh. but it was Logan's soul who then killed him. And then for Logan to, like, you know, then he came back and he's like, we're on the boat. We're on the boat, Charles, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, no. Um, no. Then, you know what? I'm and done then, with you. I'm getting off of here. Wait, Goodbye. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 got to end it off, got to end it off, right? Logan dying and his daughter who he's had, you know, this bit of a, you know, not so ideal relationship with, you know, because he's a cantankerous old man at this point and she's a vicious little murder baby. Um, Yeah, I love the murder baby. I love the murder baby. Like, that's the one thing about this whole, like, Fox-Disney deal. Like, I'm excited that Disney got them, but I'm also, like, I would have loved a movie with her. But, um, you know, first of all, what is it, the first time she calls him daddy? You know, and he's uh, like, you know, don't me. And, and, she's like, and he's, like, don't, he's like, don't, you know, be what they made you to be. And then finally at the end, when she you know, sits there over his grave and, and uh, she quotes the movie Shane, which is the Western that they were watching earlier in the film where she goes, there's no more guns in the valley. You know, pretty much like saying, like, you no. can rest. Like, pretty much saying, like, you can rest now. Like, we're okay. And when she, like, it was such an amazing send-off. Like, if you want to think of, like, like, I wish they had not made any other Fox X-Men movies after that because if you think about it, it was such a perfect, like, bow tie her just taking that cross and then switching it to be an x beautiful beautiful applause like if that movie came out today it would have gotten an oscar all right like they just weren't ready for it in 2017 but that would have gotten an oscar at this point that movie was amazing it was sad every time i saw it in theaters i cried i even watched the black and white version because it came out with a black and white version yeah so sad, so sad. But yes, Brittany, to your point, Donald Pierce was hot. Anyway, go ahead. Oh my God, that's right. I'm so glad you got my message. Mhm, mhm. So yeah, what do you think about Logan? <laughs> Golly, it was such a great movie, but I was not emotionally prepared for it, especially figuring oh, out what happened with the other X Men. And how much, you know, especially for how much he loved them and how much they meant to him and for him to be the undoing because, you know, and honestly, it makes sense for him to have that kind of degenerative disease with his type of power, you know, like, you know, you have to think of how much pressure that puts on the mind. But I guess, like, for me, what, what it touches close to now with the current situation is, you know, and not to be like overly personal, but it's like with grandma having ALS now and you see someone that was so strong and could do anything and then suddenly they can't, it's very tragic. And that's how I feel about Xavier where, you know, he, besides not being able to walk, there was nothing else he couldn't do. He could do everything. He was the leader. He was the one that pointed them in all the right directions and to not have that, it's just like, oh no, it's depressing. It's like it was very so sad. sad. I was just gonna say that you know, like when I first saw it, you know, my great grandmother had Alzheimer's, and 
I wasn't born into her, you know, always being like that. She, you know, yeah. had a major part in raising me. She was walking, talking, interacting, making food, blah, blah, blah. And then to go from that to seeing her pretty much, you know, like a vegetable in a nursing home, like I, like watching that and watching like Xavier and how he got confused sometimes with like hit, like so home with me that I was like, I can't believe they did this in a superhero movie. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, the closest that you can say is like Joker, right? Like how real that was the movie Joker, it's like Logan was the same way. Like, it just hit so much realness, even though you're talking about mutants. I think it's because it didn't follow the superhero formula. It made it more mm-hmm. realistic. Like, you you could believe it would happen in real life. Well, a lot of times, like, and not to knock on Marvel, I love Marvel, but you go, this is a superhero movie. Everything's going to be fun in the end. But with this, you're Except like, this is gritty. Except for Except Infinity for War, when everything was... No, I was going to say for Infinity War, and Endgame, and Endgame, like when Tony died. I was going to put Endgame, but then I was like, Logan definitely deserves this more, but for this type of uh, list. But, yeah, I mean, I, to me it felt like, you know, because they had done, like, what, the first original X-Men, and they were kind of doing, like, you know, the prequels, essentially, and they're doing all this other stuff, and it felt like... And then, you know, they had Wolverine Origins, which was terrible. They had The Wolverine, which was terrible. And I felt like they were like, you know what? We're not going to try to, you know, follow a sequel formula or try to even really connect within a larger universe. We're just, they did what Joker did, right? I can only keep saying what it was a Joker, right? Whereas the director was just like, I'm just going to make a movie. I don't care what it connects to or anything like that. I'm just going to make a movie. And I'm going to make it how I see fit. And it, it was wonderful. Like, Logan, to me, was phenomenal. Um, and I just messaged Brittany, for anyone who's listening, and I was like, I'm going to watch Logan again today because it's been a while. I need, to do, I need a good cry. <laughs> I need her to have it. I need her to have it. Sometimes you just got to cry. When I had that bad day at work, I felt weirdly zen after, after a good cry. I think everybody deserves one good cry every now and then, right? Sometimes you don't even realize that it's, like, coming on to you. Like, all right, I'm going to get really personal for everyone on here. The one time that, like, stands out in my head is that when I was working back at the bakery, I won't say any names, right? I was working back at the bakery, which is always very emotionally and mentally grating due to our very abusive boss. And I felt fine, right? Like, he was obviously being a verbally abusive asshole. And I felt fine, like, for the whole shift, right? I was just okay. And I was working the morning shift, and then the afternoon girl this woman came in you know to relieve me and she was a little older so I guess she kind of like took the role of the mom there and she was like so how is your ship I swear to god Brittany I didn't even oh, talk yeah. she was like, <laughs> like just started like sobbing like all of a sudden it just came out of nowhere and she literally started hugging me and I was like oh, oh my god <laughs> all it takes is an older woman to be mommy to you for a second before you're like, I'm unmade. 
<laughs> and it's like I didn't even feel like crying the whole morning, and then suddenly all she had to do was ask me, "So how was the morning shift?" It was like it was terrible. <laughs> if me sobbing into your shoulder didn't already like tell that. <laughs> You just reminded me of, like, when I left my ex-husband, like, the next day or two afterwards when I went to work for the first time. And I guess it spread to my boss, and I felt fine when I went to work. But then he looked at me, and he wasn't a very affectionate person, and he slowly came over and pulled me over to just hold me for a second. I started sobbing. I was like, I felt fine. I felt fine. It just takes one person to, like, show you affection before you're like, I'm dying. (laughs) But again, sometimes we need a good cry, and that's what this list was all about. Brittany, did you have any honorable mentions that you'd like to throw out there? Uh, well, okay. Not for saddest movies, but I'm going to go in saddest scenes. One, in Beauty and the Beast, when Beauty, uh, when Belle goes back home because she has to go save her father, but she keeps promising she's going to be back, and the Beast just lets her go, but you see the rose petals starting to drop. And you're like, oh, no, he only has so much time. And in Toy Story, when, um, was it Jessie? That, like, the her story of how she got abandoned. And you're like, okay, that's pretty sad, too. But I'm trying to think. I've seen a lot of sad movies, but I'm trying to think um, um, of other sad movies. I'll say really quick, if we're doing scenes really quick, because we have, like, seven minutes left. Um I'm going to do Hercules when Hercules decides to remain human and give up his immortality to be with Meg. I always found that very sad. Um, um, In the first four, when Loki screams out to Odin to tell him the truth of his origins and he's, like, tearing up because, you, you know, that's a fucking, like, crazy thing to find out. And then, of course, in Endgame, when freaking, like, first of all, that was, like, an emotionally, like, exhausting freaking movie to begin with. But, of course, Tony Stark's funeral scene, like, that was just, like, hella, hella depressing. Um, I mean, I think We love depressing, Tia. All of them are, okay, one more, one more. Freaking Yondu's funeral. Not even Yondu dying in the second Guardians of the Galaxy, because, I mean, that was sad, but the funeral, because really quick, if you remember in that movie, when he gets confronted by Sylvester Stallone's character, because they're all Ravagers, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone says, because he's outcasted, that when he dies, he'll never experience the, the colors, you know. I forget what he says, but, like, you know, the colors of your funeral, you know. But because word had gotten around as to the sacrifice that he had made and, you know, what he was really doing, they all showed up, all of the Ravager divisions, and literally started bursting the colors so that he could have a proper Ravager funeral, and that freaking <laughs> Okay, you're officially dead to me. I'm a monster. I'm officially canceled. <laughs> you are canceled. Canceled. Finished. Finito. <laughs> but, uh, you're, you got canceled harder than I zombie. You can see yourself out now. Or the Marvel Netflix yourself. series. <laughs> You can see yourself out now. 
Oh, we're talking okay. about Siri. <laughs> she is we're like, next Steve. time on uh, the top ten, Brittany is out. She's gone. I'm just doing it by myself now. But um, if we're doing series, then you know Frank Castle doing the freaking monologue at the freaking um, grave site in Daredevil Season 2 is definitely on. Right. I was but, so tired. You ever been so tired that you can't sit to wipe the bed or play ball with the boy? You can't even drink a goddamn beer. You ever been that tired? Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, everyone. Um, But Brittany, we have about four minutes and thirty seconds left. I thank you as always for making time out in sun on you know on Sunday morning to spend two hours with. Moi. Um, let everyone know. Let everyone know where we can find you and what's next on the horizon. Because we all know, we all know that Brittany's doing great things in her life, and I'm saying that on air so that she can actually. Oh, go look at look at Tia trying to be nice to me. That's never oh, happened in my entire <laughs> life. Do you hear oh, that, Miss Baby? I don't want to hear, hear that. I don't want to hear that. I can pull out receipts, but I'm not going to on air. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, you can find me on Twitch at Itty Bitty Brit. I stream, uh, I, I guess I, this is one word that she used a lot, but a variety streamer. I play most anything. Uh, I've been playing Final Fantasy VII, the remake, right now. Uh, as we know, it was an amazing game back in the day, but now it's been remade into kind of the standards of today. But been really enjoying that. I got my uh, my phone panels in to help cancel some reverb off the mic. Got a new camera. We're making some upgrades to the stream. But, yeah, you can join me every Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday, which is today. So, yep, normally at 8 p.m. Central Time, I go through that. And if you want to follow me on Twitter at IttyBittyBrit0, that's a great place to find my schedule. Or if there is changes that had to be made to the schedule, that's another great place to find me. Yes, make sure, everyone, that you check all that out because Brittany is a very dedicated streamer who only wants and wishes to entertain all of you crazy people. But <laughs> make sure that you check all that out. Make sure you check all that out. Um, as for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at TFAB, putting out plenty of articles and podcasts, trying to do the tea time with Tia when I can, when there's actually content to do. But make sure you check all of that out. And, of course, you can follow us at Geek. Five Nation. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Vero, YouTube, and all that good stuff. Um, we're just trying to keep all of you entertained and keep everyone positive during these really tough times and these really unsure times because that's just what we enjoy doing. Um, and we're putting out lots of great content. Recently, we've been doing these game shows um, where we do trivia, and it's actually a lot of fun. I'm trying to get Brittany to actually get the time to do it. We do it actually face-to-face on Zoom, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I do really oh, well with like to do that. What days do y'all do it? He, Juwan, kind of does it. We have... I, there should be one maybe tonight or something, but he kind of does it like, you know, whenever. 
but the trivia ones are great. He will do a quote, and we have to guess, you know, who said it or what movie it was from. It's it's so much fun. Um, so please make sure that you check that out. Uh, give us, you know, likes, subscribes, and all that stuff, and let us know what your favorite sad movies are. <laughs> uh, Brittany, thank you, as always, for joining me. I've had a lot of fun, even though we've wanted to cry most of the podcast. <laughs> thank you, and have an amazing Sunday. See ya. Goodbye, everyone. Have a great day.